Hey, Drama listeners, it's Connor. Thank you for joining us for yet another week. If it's your first time finding the pod, welcome to the Drama family. So our longtime listeners will know that we, in addition to these weekly Wednesday episodes, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash the drama podcast, where every month Dylan and I bring you exclusive bonus episodes where it's just us chit-chatting away about theater, pop culture, love, and life. And this has been a spicy week, y'all. I mean, we're giving it to you on socials, but we also get into it on our close friends on Instagram, which you can only access by signing up. So for $5 a month, you can support the pod and get that extra dose of drama that I know you're craving. All right. Well, thank you for finding us. Thank you for listening. Go leave us a review. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and enjoy today's episode with Elizabeth A. Davis. On to the show. Press play. Curtain up an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. drama drama welcome to drama a podcast that covers theater pop culture love and life i'm connor mcdowell and i am dylan mcdowell connor how are you doing today tonight i should say i'm great i'm you know i'm feeling good it feels like summer which is of course one of my favorite times of year mm-hmm. uh, how are you i'm good I'm, I'm kind of riding high off of a fun weekend so obviously as the listeners know, I'm domestic in Columbus, Ohio for the time being. <laughs> and we had, you know, obviously we call it Pride Month now, but it, it's most cities have like one weekend of celebrations. But in Columbus, we have had stuff every weekend. And this past weekend, there was the Columbus Arts Festival, which art is gay adjacent, in my opinion. Totally. You know, like stained glass things and things made out of metal. And there was honestly this one really funny art like display that this person added in tree frogs into like common life scenarios. It was like really cute. And they were all based on real tree frogs. It was adorable. People are so clever. I know. I know. Well, that's so fun. I know. I'm jealous. I wish I would have been around this weekend. I guess I'll see you this weekend though. Yeah. But there was also a huge drag festival happening at District West downtown. And I got to see some of my favorite queens from RuPaul's Drag Race, including Delta Work, who I met and is now a follower of the pod. So maybe, maybe we'll invite her on someday. But, um, also saw Detox and Widow Von Delta was promoting the podcast in a way that no guest we've ever even had on has promoted it before. So that truly was was a wild. It was so wild. It was just so much fun. And of course, Hunter was around and our friend Chloe and Kitty and everybody. It was amazing. But we have something exciting happening today on the podcast. So exciting. I'm like, I told her before, I was like, I'm kind of shaking. I'm a fan. And, you know, when you show your cards that soon, it can be a bit of a risk. But she was on board for it. She was on board for it. Yes. And anyone who, you know, looks at the Polaroids, well, the, the screenshot Polaroids that we post on our Instagram, they do see that I have a once poster behind me because it was like Hunter's favorite Broadway show. And it was one of our favorite shows that we saw. In the West End, actually. And but never on Broadway for some weird reason. And she clocked the poster. I'm gonna bring her in. Yeah. Our guest today was nominated for a Tony Award for her Broadway debut as Reza in the 2012 Tony winning Best in Musical Once. Now she is returning to the Great Bright Way in the eagerly anticipated revival of 1776 as Thomas Jefferson, currently playing at the American Repertory Theater in Cambridge. 
She also has a Drama Desk nomination to her name for her turn in Rodgers and Hammerstein's Allegro, as well as being an Innovative Theater Award and Nymph Award winner. New York audiences will recognize her talent from My Name's Not Indian Joe, The 39 Steps, The Caucasian Chalk Circle, Zorba, Women on Fire, Stories from the Front Lines, and more. She also starred in Buzz and Decent and was featured on Ben Platt's Sing to Me Instead album for the track Older and was seen in Law and Order SVU. Of course, of course, of course, she has some Cleveland roots in there, too, having performed as Blanche Dubois in the Cleveland Playhouse as a streetcar named Desire, which is a gag, and I'm so sad I didn't see that, but drama. Anyway, she's a skilled violinist, has appeared in countless television shows, and also writes her own dramatic works. Please welcome to drama, Elizabeth, Elizabeth A. Davis! Y'all, that was so dear. Thank you so much. I I am I'm really happy to be here, and to um to be dramatic or you know what what whatever whatever we're gonna do it's gonna be amazing. I'm so excited. Absolutely. Well, we're gagged to have you on the podcast. I don't think I mentioned this beforehand, but we're Cleveland boys at heart, and so you've obviously spent some time. You went to Case Western. I love Cle- Cleveland. I I mean that there was so much to love about Cleveland. The spring and the fall. There is, it's something so, you're going to get me going because I love, genuinely love Cleveland. And I love Case, obviously. I love the Cleveland Playhouse. But I, like, there's such a, like, a rejuvenation of Cleveland that's happened in the, since I've, since I've lived there, that's been so thrilling to kind of watch from afar. But being able to pop in here and there, whether at Case or for other things, I remain, I consider it, like, I consider it part of my, like, home journey, like, H-O-M-E, like, it's part of home for me. Mm, I love that so much. That was your master's program, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And I always plug the program because they are still last time I checked, which was not that long ago, still one of the few programs in America that is full ride and offers a stipend for all living expenses. And by all, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Which is such a unique, beautiful gift. So I love Cleveland. Did you like playing Blanche Dubois? You know, this is a great story. I was actually, I was actually the understudy. Okay. And I, and it was, it was, it was Stella. So I, um, I was able to stand by, to stand by for Stella. And then I got to go on for Stella. So it was like, it was a lot of things at once, but first of all, I, I think I mentioned, I am, I'm a Southern woman. And yes. so to be able to like, get inside the text of like a Southern playwright. It was like, yeah, it Blanche is my dream role. If anyone is listening, Blanche is my dream role. And Stella at that time in my life. Yes. Thank you. At the time in my <laughs> life, Stella was, was right for me. It, I was, I was in the right place to play Stella. Oh my gosh. I'm like in a trance right now thinking about, about that show because it, yeah, I mean, it was transformative for me. So. Well, I'm sorry that we had the typo about the role. I must've been trying to manifest Blanche for you. Well, I, I have been very open on the interwebs that I've said I wanted to delete, delete myself from for all time, which mm-hmm. is like, I, I'm an Enneagram four. I'm sorry. I'm just in constant. Ah. <laughs> um, but I have been very open about the fact that I want to play Blanche. I've actually done videos where I, I did this video called if Blanche said something else and I imagined what she would say now or so it's it's out there okay you are not dylan you are i've been very open about it 
Okay, maybe by osmosis, I, I I took that in there, and I appreciate the grace you've given me in that situation. I, I could have, I could perhaps somewhere. Maybe I'm just lying. I could, you know, maybe I'm lying somewhere, which is Lord knows I could be lying. <laughs> no, you're not lying. Wait, also, I want to find out what enneagram I am. How do I do that? <gasps> um, oh my gosh, do you mind if I come? Enneagram is I'm obsessed with it. The company that I just did a couples report with my hubs. Oh, yeah. I noticed a gorgeous ring on your finger too. I was like, oh, 13 years. Oh my goodness. Congrats. It's called IEQ. I'll find it later. I'll find it later. But they are legit. And so cool. Slightly obsessed. Obsessed. I've taken it, but I forget what number I am. Listen, a lot of us, a lot of our ilk, our creative ilky, Mm -hmm. like drama ilk, we're fours, which means the intense creative mm. so anyway i, I do well i have to say stella is an equally challenging role she's tricky she's tricky because i mean blanche gets all the glory but the <laughs> ability like it was stella who left you know so she is torn she is the triangulation she is she's kind of the rotating linchpin of the play Mm. And my heart is racing. Oh my gosh. It was, I, oh my gosh. What Tennessee Williams has given us is astounding. Mm-hmm. 100%. As you're talking, I'm reminded you have a similar energy to the friend of ours who actually put us in touch, Al Silver. And <gasps> you remind me of her. The I way that, her. Yes. She gave us your name and she was like, you need to talk to my friend. I love her. <laughs> I, I genuinely love her. Mm-hmm. Like with a deep abiding, you know, presence Absolutely. in my heart. Yeah. Oh my God. I don't even remember like how we became like forever entangled, but no, we've not done a show together. Not yet. Yeah. Uh, not, not yet. We haven't, but we will. Stella and, and Blanche. Uh, Stella and Blanche. Oh, listen, I also am very aware that Blanche played at 30 is probably ideal, but I reject that for my future. <laughs> I reject it. <laughs> So, no, we will. We can do some sort of version. Okay. There is a young gentleman who's written a play, Anderson Hines, that is a prequel. He does not know I'm saying this. I did not expect to be saying this, but he has written a prequel to Streetcar. That is unbelievable. And there's not really a role for me in it, but I I don't care. It has to be done. Maybe I'll just direct it then. You know, what's weird. I, I, I love to write and I love to produce, but I don't, my mother was a director, but I don't have, it's not, it's, that is not a burning desire yet. Mm, I understand that. I think that some people feel like it's like the natural step. Once you've played a lot of the roles and you've done a lot of the great things, people say, Oh, I think it's time to go behind the camera or on the other side of the stage. But I respect that you're, because you obviously had to do so many other things, including being an instrumentalist. So I understand that you have other itches. I do. And I, I am quite obsessed with writing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the power for me is creating the story and being able to be, because in some ways, if you can write it, you can, you can write the direction in. If, you, if it's on the page, you're informing the director what to do. So it's almost like you are even before the director, mm. if you're the writer. You know, and as far as theatrically, we have a lot more protection than TV. The writer is 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 chief in theater. In TV, you're like tangential. Sadly, uh, you get more money, but then you get bought out, and then you don't have creative control. So, and huh. I think in the theater, we very much honor the playwright in a way that um, 
that's all I'm seeking is the honor. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> you even see like a lot of plays, especially when they're revived. You'll see the playwright's name, like Harvey Firestein's Torch Song Trilogy is an example of that. That's and right. it's like, you don't see that That's on TV right. or in film, the writers. Oh no, that is so true. Um, for example, Peter Stone wrote the book for 1776. Mm-hmm. And we, the estate, we are stringently obeying the text because the writer, even though they are no longer mm-hmm. with us, is king. And so it's, um, yeah, I, again, I'm, I'm, don't, I'm not drawn to writing for that purpose. I'm drawn to the idea that I have the potential to create a world that I currently don't see represented. Mm. For example, right now I'm working on a commission um, with Madison Wells Media about a garden in Rikers mm. Island in the women's prison. And this garden was created by the Horticulture Society of New York. The horticulture therapy they do in the women's prison is profound. They produce fruits and vegetables that feed people. And so I'm working on a commission right now about that garden and the people that work that garden. And so I don't, I don't know what, I see no representation of that particular world right now, especially in the theater. There are other, obviously other stories about incarceration, but I want to see this story. And so I'm figuring out a way to tell that. That's so powerful. You, Elizabeth, even just from the first like 10 minutes of us talking, you are truly one of the most interesting people I've even met via Zoom. So there's going to be a lot of questions about a lot of different things coming your way. (laughs) But I am just curious because we're finding you here. You're in the Cambridge area currently, perhaps in a hotel, maybe an Airbnb of sorts. It is an apartment. It is an apartment, Uh ART until July 24th. I'm curious to know, are you well? I'm quite well. I am engaged in meaningful work. I'm happy in my relationship. I have a son that makes me understand the breadth of my calling on planet Earth in a way that I never anticipated. Wow. Parents are alive and healthy. We just got to buy our first home in Manhattan because of the market crash. <laughs> <laughs> Some silver linings, right? It only took a pandemic in 13 years, but we bought our home. And so for those, you know, for the basic reasons, I am not in war-torn Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I am not, you know, suffering a terminal illness. Like there's just so many things that I, my only response can be, I'm, I'm quite well. I love it. You got to own those moments because it's not always that way. I was not quite well. Very recently ago, I was not well. I walked through a health crisis very recently Mm. and walked through the 2021 was the most painful year of my entire life. I think it was for probably a lot of people, either 2020 or 2021, like like it was a toss up for folks. Yeah. And I was not okay. And I knew that I wasn't. And so I'm, I'm, so I guess my thankfulness for the simple things feels even more expansive to me right now. Well, I'm glad that you're well now. I'm sorry you had to go through whatever 2021 brought you, but you are literally like, you seem to be thriving. You're stunning. I mean, your cheekbones, your lips, like you're literally <laughs> my queen randomly. Like I'm, I'm gagging and I'm obsessed. Are you enjoying your time in Boston it, or the Cambridge area, right? Cambridge, yes. It's so strange. I have, I, I keep referring to my son who's five, but 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 it's a touch point for several reasons. We've had three of his five birthdays in Boston or Cambridge. Oh, wow. Isn't that random? So <laughs> yeah, that is. Two-year-old birthday I was doing Indecent at the Huntington. So cool. Al, Allie and I shared that role too. We oh. didn't do the same 
we didn't do it at the same time, but we shared that role. And we had a lot of conversation back and forth okay. about that. Because she did it in the West End. Correct. So I did it in Boston and LA. Um, anyway, so two years old in Boston and decent. And then because nothing was happening, then like we just randomly drove to Boston for three years old because of a certain cake shop called Oakleaf. Shout out. They're great. Oh, cool. Um, and then sponsored by Oakleaf. Sponsored by <laughs> And five is here. So I, to answer your question directly, Connor, I'm loving the Boston, Cambridge area. They, I mean, it's so weird. We bought our house, bought our, uh, I shouldn't say house apartment and it's on the Columbia campus and now I'm on the Harvard campus and I'm from the middle of nowhere in the panhandle of Texas. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't, this is just so, I don't know how I have myself here, but grace and peace. So. Well, yeah, I saw that you grew up in a town of like less than 400 people in Texas. I did. That's crazy. That is so small. That's, that's the size, of our, the size of our high school. Yeah. Dylan, we're twinning too hard. I know. It's, it's something it's in the air. So... Keep it up. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I want to hear about what you're doing in Cambridge. I want to know like about 7076, but you brought up your hometown and there's something else we like to talk to all of our guests about is that moment when they realized that they were interested in the arts. We call it the ring of keys moment, borrowing the term from fun home about that moment of recognition. when when you're like, oh my gosh, wait. I identify with this in a way that I think might stick with me forever. Do you feel like you had that? Y'all are going to make me cry. So my mama and daddy directed the high school play together. My mama was pregnant with me when she was directing the mystery of the Ming tree for the high schools for the high school. And they directed the high school play every year of my life until I was finally old enough to do the high school play. And I did Pygmalion and I got to be Eliza Doolittle. <laughs> and then I started playing the violin at three. So let me, let me, let me answer the question by saying this. My mom and dad took me to see the Nutcracker when I was three. And at intermission, my parents, my, they, they took me down and I saw the orchestra. I, I'm th- I, I was three. Like I started with three. So I know this was a memory at age three, which stuns me. Uh, the brain is so crazy, but I remember, I remember going back to my seat. I don't remember anything about the second act. I remember the drive home because we had to drive an hour to get anywhere. Ugh. We don't, we don't have a grocery store. We have a blinking light. It's not a real stoplight. And I will love that place till the day I die. Um, but we were driving back home. And I remember looking out the back window. We didn't have to have car seats back then. <laughs> I was looking out the back window of my parents' cougar. And I remember crying and looking at the stars and crying and begging to play the violin. Wow. I still can't believe it sometimes, but I would like, it's so serious. I was talking about, it was a core memory, mm-hmm. like absolute core memory. Um, and my dad says, well, it's a good thing because you were going to play anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they were both musicians and my dad was a vocal performance major. And my mother sang and played the piano and like myself, like I'm doing um, with our child as well. The idea is not, you know, this happens with writing or any area of creativity where people just sometimes wait for inspiration. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you, you will wait forever. Just like, it's, it's about working. Like you have to work at it. And so the idea of playing an instrument for, for my parents was very much like, we're going to train your ear. We're going to teach you work. We're going to teach you consistency. So it's, it's a good thing. I was obsessed with that, but it also probably would have happened anyway. When you were brought down to the orchestra, you, did you see a violin or did you, you, okay. So you, you were like, just, that was it. That was it. I don't know why. I don't know why. So that was it for the instrument. But then I, I mean, 
I have distinct memories of sitting on the, on the steps while my mother was directing the high school kids, all of which there were 40 kids in our high school. And they would like, these kids would come off the buses from farms and ranches who would have most likely had zero exposure to, you know, my mother was teaching Beckett and, and Shaw <laughs> and, you know, like no theater in OH, you know, just like, I just, yeah, I'm obsessed with their like master's degree art obsessions in the middle of this, you know. Yeah. It's amazing. There was funding for that type of a program. I mean, they're really, I mean, how did they do that? <laughs> I will say my mother made all the costumes. Mm -hmm. Like I grew up like around like her just at that sewing machine making, you know, making Lona's lion costume, whatever. (laughs) So it very much was a theater always for me was connected to community service, Mm. which drives me back to this commission that I'm obsessed with right now about serving people with theater in a community. So it's all there. It's all there. Now, have you been, have you been to Rikers yet to see the garden? Yeah, I've, I've been to Rikers five times at this point. I got to, I went in with my hubs. He brought his guitar, brought my fiddle. And I have an album um, that's called the apple tree that a few singles are out, but it will fully come out in September. And I got to be one of two artists who were welcomed back into Rikers um, for the first time since the pandemic. Okay. Wow. It was supposed to be this huge event and everyone else just canceled because there was so much bad press about the danger of Rikers at mm-hmm. the moment. I remember reading a lot of it. Yeah. And I'd already been in before a few times and I was like, we're going, we're going. Mm-hmm. So I went in before I, t- John Weidman, Stephen Sondheim's book writer. I like, I took John with me to Rikers Island. I was like, John, you want to come to Rikers? He did assassins, right? That's correct. Okay. Exactly correct. And the production of My Dear John Doyle that they just did together at Classic Stage was, I think, incredible. But I, I wrote a musical called My Name's Not Indian Joe. Yes. And I, um, about an incarcerated Choctaw man. And I'd never used the material as like an arts therapy piece with incarcerated individuals. And so I was connected with their arts programming through a gentleman named Matt Butler. And we went in and I got to workshop my script with these gentlemen and the, the, the prison commissioner came and there were men crying. And it was, it was a profound moment. It was a profound moment. So back to Channing theater as service is pretty pivotal for me. Channing is your hometown. Channing. Okay. I love when you talk, when you started to speak about it, there were certain words that I know, like you said, high school, it, it was, yeah. Very, very much so. Wow, that's incredible. And so then, obviously, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, you ended up in Cleveland, you've been studying and honing your craft over all the years, and now you're here in Cambridge, and you're playing violin in 1776, correct? That is exactly true. I, you know, I've played in quite a few shows since once, but I've never done a show where it's historically part of the narrative. There's a song, he plays the violin, literally, you know, it's like mm-hmm. Martha Jefferson, Betty Buckley, my heart who originated that sings he plays the violin so yeah it's because i've been i've had a very um tricky relationship with the violin since once musical on your wall yes i left once after doing it a year on broadway to go do brecht off broadway because i wanted to i wanted to say something different about myself which is what I originally intended to say, which I never thought I would do musical theater ever, ever. I didn't, I didn't think that was a part of my trajectory at all. 
Wow, that shocks me. What <laughs> musical had you seen that's just like a girl with a violin? Not in full once a musical. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to do Brecht and Chekhov. I'm going to do Ionesco. I'm going to do. And so I got two degrees in classical theater. I put the violin away. I did classical theater for five years in the city and out of town. And then here comes Falling Slowly. Mm. And um, I mean, it really ushered in. I mean, let's be clear. John Doyle ushered in actor musicianship. Absolutely. He is now my father and my, you know, creative mentor. Um, and I have, I can't say it yet, but I have an exciting announcement having to do with John Doyle in the next couple months. Ooh, so I, I, will, I will let you know. Little um, tease we love. But John started actor musicianship. This is such an incredible story because Margaret Thatcher <laughs> cut funding in, in all, of, all of the UK for arts funding to balance the budget. And John said, well, how am I going to do theater? Yeah. And then literally, I think, how did he bring Sweeney Todd? Oh, I think it was Sondheim came to see Sweeney Todd in London, apparently because he thought it was horrible and then came and was like, no, actually, I love this and said, will you bring it to Broadway? I think like, I'll love, I'll double check with John, but I'm pretty sure this is the correct story. That's incredible. Incredible. Just incredible. But you know what? Those actors, I think were getting like 6,000 a week. Because we knew at the time that they were doing two jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So John did that. And then once, and then, and then John Tiffany, who I also will always be obsessed with and I adore him and owe him so much. But at that time we, it was really creating a new way of making theater. There were mm -hmm. no other shows really out there. Once I left once I was like, well, that was a one-off. Sure. And it took about five years for the industry to really catch up, to be like, oh, this is no, this is a thing we're going to do. And at that time, I'd already started writing my own musical that was in that ilk because I was like, no, oh, this is my aesthetic. <laughs> so. And that's my name's not Indian Joe. Yes. Which, yes. And that's about the homeless Choctaw man. Um, mm -hmm. By the way, I've set up an endowment fund in his name. And if folks are interested in contributing to my endowment fund, I'm in search of many thousands of dollars. We'll so, put a link. We'll put a link in the. Thank in the you. Yeah. Thank you. I will give you that link. Yeah. Would love that. It will go toward Choctaw students in Oklahoma. I'm so intrigued by by your entire. You're like one of the most interesting people I've ever encountered. I'm serious. But <laughs> so so, how did you end up in in once random audition? Okay. Well, Ashley Landley at Professional Artists, who's now Ashley Williams, who now is getting her nursing degree and is living with stage four cancer. Oh um, I know she's an incredible person. And I, I went in for a random audition and okay. We just had our 10 year anniversary reunion concert for once last Monday. I flew into New York on my day off from 1776 and I saw Martin Lowe. Martin Lowe was the MD for once. And so it was, it was because of Martin. We had an hour long audition where I'd never had an audition where he just said, let's jam, let's play. And we just literally improvised and played together. And I left the audition having no idea. And he now quotes that as like the moment that he's like, okay, I, th I think, I think we can, I think we can do this actor musician thing. <laughs> I've heard it before. So yeah, it's, it's wild. So because wow. most of the company was playing an instrument as well, because there was obviously this famous pre-show that everyone would come early for at once. And yeah. it started it. Well, it was played at New York Theater Workshop first, right? Um, at ART, actually, here was our where we were rehearsing, doing like tech blocking for 1776 is the exact room that we 
were running once when it first was created. Your first Broadway gig and then your second Broadway <laughs> gig. I know, only took 10 years. <laughs> were you shocked when you got nominated for a Tony? Shocked beyond. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know how the business worked. I, like I said, like I had no connections when I came here. I had, I never knew a professional actor until I think I met somebody at Cleveland Playhouse. <laughs> so the, the, I didn't know how it worked. I was dead asleep. I mean, why, why would I be, I, I didn't even know, like you stay up for announcements or you get up. I was stunned. And then I, my wardrobe was completely unprepared. Oh, yes, there's uh, all the precedents <laughs> and everything you have to do. The next day. I was like, so Matt Polk, who was our press rep, was so, you know, and I would like, he's so lovely. I would like it to be known that I was wearing Christian Siriano at the Tonys before anybody else. I was like, who's this interesting, you know, look over here. And now everybody wears Christian Siriano. Everybody. I was one of the first folks. He's like Kristen Chenoweth's (laughs) go-to now for any of her concerts that she does on Broadway. He is incredible. He signs everything. Mm-hmm. He is incredible. And he was at my fittings and he was very hands-on. And that, yeah, everybody in the world is now like, we're in Christian Siriano. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. I still was unprepared to consider myself a musical theater artist. That's not what I considered myself. I was an actor. I was a dramatic drama. I was a dramatic actor that happened to play the violin. And oh yeah, my dad gave me vocal lessons growing up because he was a vocal performance major. But that synthesis, I had not had opportunity or, or the forms had not given me opportunity to make that synthesis complete yet. So wow. I, I vocally felt very un, I was unversed, I felt. So I had zero desire to win that Tony because I knew there was an immediate branding of who I was going to be perceived as And I had to say something. I had to, I had to say, wait, this, this is actually who I am. And that process was very painful. The process of, you know, when you get to a certain point, you have to decide, am I going to stay here or I'm, or am I going to like reinvent and and then go to the next place? Mm -hmm. And so the decision to reinvent for the sake of being as authentically true to who I am as an artist, I knew it was going to be a several year journey. And it was, mm-hmm. it was very hard and I suff- I financially suffered for it. But now I'm in the place to say I have come full circle. Now, I, I feel like I have a dual career track now, a-, a coming, a burgeoning dual career track, which I would not have had if I had not said, I have to be an artist here, not just a mercenary. So, wow. and listen, listen, that is quite a dramatic statement, which, which I will say this now I'm not in the play. I would never leave a Broadway show. I would never leave a Broadway show like that right now because I've gone through that process. And now if someone is going to give me a paycheck, I'm going to say, thank you. Pension. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me where to sign up. But at that time in my life and in my career, it was the right decision. Absolutely. Yeah. I I mean, I respect that. You have to trust your gut always, you know, whatever you're feeling in the moment. Otherwise, when you look back, you'd hate to have any questions left over i think risk is such an inherent part of this job of our Mm. career of our um field i guess that gosh we're just flying with no net we really are and that is kind of the call of the job to be out on stage pretending to be someone else with a thousand people watching you that's insane 
you know? So I also think this, that failure is the greatest teacher because Mm -hmm. a perceived failure allows you to learn something new about yourself. And if, if we rebuff failure, then we have to learn the lesson again in some other painful way. (laughs) You're giving it to me. (laughs) I'm speaking from like the deepest places of like dark night of the soul. We are forced to learn the lesson again. If we don't, if we don't take it and we're better for it, you know, we're better for it. So yeah. And our art is better for it. Truly. Like, who do you enjoy watching? There are people that are like, there are a thousand things going on because, because they've gone through a thousand things, you know, mm-hmm. and there's texture and layerings and like, ooh, they've been through something, you know? That's the kind of art I have to watch. Yeah. Who do you love? Like, if you were to go see anyone in, you know, I guess in the, on the topic of theater, like, if you, who, who's like your favorite theatrical performer? Yeah, Elizabeth Marvel. Oh my goodness. Miraculous. And I know that she's moved over rightfully so to TV and film a fair amount. She did Blanche in a bathtub. Oh my gosh. At New York Theater Workshop, right? I'm yelling. Sorry. (laughs) I think she is absolutely exquisite. I think she is the highest caliber of artist. You know, one of those folks that's just like, well, to the point of, I didn't watch the Tonys last night. We were watching um, David Attenborough's our planet. Oh, I love. About- I love David Attenborough. Mm-hmm. Love Deirdre O'Connor. Yeah, is O'Connell. 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 Mm-hmm. I I read what she said mm-hmm. about weird art and about if you th- if you're doing it just because you think you're going to win a Tony, you, that's the wrong decision. Elizabeth Marvel to me is clearly one of these people that has said, I I don't care if you like me or not. I I don't care what's on the other side of it is it interesting is it going to feed me as an artist not that there's anything wrong with money please let me be clear money is so lovely oh yeah it's so lovely so yes you know yeah we hope we for the two to meet right at some point in this business i think elizabeth marvel just did long day's journey into night as well <sighs> with connor with with atu oh yeah you're at, right um, yeah you're right it was with the audible yeah at the audible it's like an audible joint mm-hmm. production So you're going back, so you're coming back to Broadway, but after doing 1776 this summer, you're coming back. How are, what is your relationship like to 1776? That's part one of the question. I guess part two is, are you excited to go back to Broadway? You know, look to play a man who is deeply flawed, unbelievably brilliant, changed the course of history, also owned 607 human beings was complex And what every um, person in our cast is being challenged with is saying, we are not straight white men, Mm -hmm. but there is some incredible fusion that's happening with the character and with who we in all of our different individuality are. There's this remarkable synthesis happening. And I think everyone, obviously I don't want to speak for everyone, but I do think I can safely, I can, I stand to be corrected by anyone in my cast, but I think I can safely say that there is this commingling of, um, of patriotism, like true patriotism alongside true historical reckoning. Mm. And it feels so fulfilling and timely, but also slightly different than what I thought I would experience. And I think that we've had access to a lot, uh, a lot to several extraordinary Harvard historians, a woman named uh, Annette Gordon-Reed, who is an African-American woman from Texas. She is the foremost Pulitzer Prize winning scholar on Jefferson. Oh, wow. 
and uncovered a lot of scholarship about Sally Hemings, mm-hmm. who um, he fathered four children with, I believe it was four, freed them, negotiated with Sally Hemings to free them, I think when they were 18, never freed Sally. But Sally was the half-sister of his wife, Martha. And so she looked almost the same as Martha. Oh my goodness. But she was the way that, you know, if you had a, a drop of blood that gave your lineage anything but just like white, you were an enslaved person. Mm-hmm. The point being, there is so much this and this. And Jeffers, look, I could go on and on about this. So this is a, a different production. It's all completely sort of in this post-Hamilton world where we're reckoning with history and it's all women, right, in the show? Uh, it, we have women, trans, non-binary. Um, Amazing. So, it, yeah, it's a, it's a different take. Sure. <laughs> But that's what that is the thing. Like there is, um, I, I have been I have used this example several times. But the woman playing Benjamin Franklin, her name is Petrina Murray. She's incredible. And I look at her on stage, and we're, we're acting that whatever. And I'm like, that is Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> and the the like my 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 guy said this. Um, several folks said this. they're like, you just you just believe it. Like, sure. You're hearing it come out of the mouths of women of color. And so it obviously then resonates in lots of different ways. So I, I actually feel like Thomas Jefferson in the play, in the musical. <laughs> that is so cool. Oh, so, it's so wild. So, I mean, he played the violin very proficiently. He wrote more than he spoke, which obviously I speak endlessly, but my point is there, there is a lot of interest in playing characters that are complex individuals that change the course of our country, change the course mm-hmm. of history. And also realizing how they were, they were wild. They were wild. They were like saying, you know, we're going to get hung. Oh, well, we just have to do it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the reason that Diane Paulus wanted to do the musical again in the first place was because a piece of history that I never knew either. And that is central to Jefferson, Adams, and Franklin, is there was a slavery clause. And and Jefferson originally wrote in the declaration abolishing slavery. And between the first draft and the last draft, the slavery clause was removed, mainly because of South Carolina. Um, We don't have exactly the timing. Our uh, dramaturg, Robert Duffley, has been able, though, to track it pretty closely, that it, it was Edward Rutledge and South Carolina that were pretty integral in the elimination of the slavery clause. So this production wrestles with that. Wow. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. I mean, it's true. This really happened. And so in the last draft of, of Jefferson's declaration, slavery is, in, is included. And that tracks with South Carolina, obviously, because they were so problematic as the years went on with the Civil War and they wanted to secede, right? You know, I don't know a lot about South Carolina Linnean okay. history, so you would know more on that. But <laughs> random, so random of me. <laughs> I know, Dylan. Were you in AP US history? No, but school? I went to Myrtle Beach a month ago, so I think oh, well. that that's the closest I, I got. Okay. You know, <laughs> boots on the ground journalism. Yeah, love it. There's wow. quite an indictment though that happens. That and listen, coming from this, coming from the South, I think that I think that it's important for the Northern colonies to remember 
that they were also complicit. And there's a great moment in the show where this, where the South says, oh, we're so bad. How about you are a part of the triangle trade and you might not do what you think is worse, but you are complicit in a part of this financial gain that is on the backs of slavery. So mm. this is what Diane Paulus also said. We're not, ele- we're not aiming to put someone on a pedestal and we're not aiming to have someone like buried under the ground. We're aiming to look mm. at men, these men in the face and to face and to, to, to do a face off with their legacy. So. Oh, that's so cool. Ooh. I can only imagine your portrayal is going to be incredible and I can't wait to see it. Hopefully in New York. Your lips, God's ears. I do get to wear a red wig. Oh, welcome. Welcome to the ginger family. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to represent. Yeah, that's so fun. You know, when you put on a wig, something just happens. You're not wrong. It's so true. <laughs> oh my gosh, Elizabeth, I feel like I have so many questions for you. and could talk to you forever, but we, we sadly are, we have to wrap up, but oh my gosh. But before we say goodbye, we do like to always end on a dose of drama, something to leave our listeners with, whether it be something to go out in the world and consume or even just to think about. And I'm feeling a little dramatic about something myself today because you know, summer is upon us. I'm trying to like get some cute summer looks together for, you know, various festivities. And I, I really want a Diana the Musical t-shirt that I can kind of like cut up a little bit, maybe make, make into a cutoff, something like cute and fun and kind of gay and campy. And they're not available for sale anymore. So it's drama. I, I really missed the boat, but maybe we all did with Diana and maybe, you know, maybe it was ahead of its time, but I don't know. We'll see. I didn't see it, but I know that there are there are quite a lot of mixed feelings. We'll have to talk about mm-hmm. it later because I know we're short on. Yeah. <laughs> Look, my gosh. I'm obsessed with David Attenborough. I know I the man has changed the course of history. David Attenborough, this new Our Planet series, it's not new at this point. It's like over a year old, but it's incredible. Like anything National Geographic that you may have seen in the past, like our technology is so incredible now that we can we can go to the deepest level of the ocean and watch bioluminescent fish just like have a party and the drama of the deep sea (laughs) is stunning that is probably the strangest answer to a question you've ever received in your live long life no i love it (laughs) i love it it's to me i get such great comfort from his voice we in our high school biology class our teacher mr maretka would always that was sort of like our Anytime there was a video to be watched, it was something from one of his grand collection. And I feel so cozy when I watch anything. Very cozy. He's very, (laughs) you know, there's something that, yeah, you feel like it's like Santa Claus meets like Paddington Bear. Yes, absolutely. Very, very That's, you nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah, the impression was actually spot on. Does your child enjoy the, um, our planet? It's, it's really incredible. I mean, he does a perfect David Attenborough accent. He actually does a very good John Doyle impression with the accent. <laughs> so it, it's something that I, as a parent, I don't like screen time for kids. I just, even though I'm like, my child's literally watching cars, you have to do what you have to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think, I, I'm still holding my cigarette. I, yeah, I yeah. do think it changes the prefrontal cortex very early on in childhood. I don't think this is true, but for... But as far as screen time, I was like, what can I find that's like nourishing and enriching, but also comforting? And, it, and it's been David Attenborough. He's like raising my child. That's so cute. Oh my God. I love it. 
You know, it takes a village, Elizabeth. It takes a village. It takes a planet sometimes. <laughs> Our planet. It takes the whole planet hours. Yeah. My dose of drama is also a TV recommendation. I it just finished on HBO, The Staircase. They did this filmed version of what was this Netflix documentary. Connor, have I talked about The Staircase yet on drama? I think you mentioned that it was coming. Okay. But I haven't I haven't taken, obsessed, taken part in Obsessed, it. obsessed. I'm a true crime person. And it was so good. Tony Collette is incredible. Oh. Colin Firth, incredible. If you've seen the very long documentary series, you will love this. And it leaves more questions than answers. Love. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And if anyone out there has a theory, I want to know. I want to know what your theory is. And that's all I got. Oh. Staircase. Yeah. The staircase. Elizabeth, thank you so much for your time. I wish I had like another three hours with you. You are so compelling. I know. I want you to give TED Talks, commencement speeches, write a book, keep writing plays. Like I was hanging on every word you were saying throughout this episode. And I think Mm -hmm. our listeners are going to get a lot out of it as we've gotten a lot out of your career. And thank you. I know we didn't talk about it too much, but thank you for your contributions, particularly to ones, because I do love everything you've done with that show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thank you for letting me share. It's an honor. Of course. And we're excited to see you back on Broadway and just all the things with your original work and the plays that you're cooking up um everyone even though you might disappear without a trace from social media and at any given day (laughs) for your own wishes that you are on twitter and instagram at elizabeth a davis no h that's right Uh, it was already taken i mean okay no cute little elizabeth no just it was taken yeah well you did what you had to do and everyone should follow you there and we're also going to have a link if they want to donate to the endowment fund and anything else that's going on really appreciate that with that yeah there's good work to be had. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Can't wait to see 1776. Y'all better let me know when you come. We will. Of Definitely. course. Of course. And of course, while everyone's following Elizabeth, if they don't already, we're out there at the Drama Podcast. Connor's at Connor McDowell. I'm at Dylan McDowell. And Connor, I will see you next time. Drama. Drama.